Hey, so we're going to be starting the final chapter of Ephesians this week. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. We've said this throughout the entire series, but the first half of this letter is all about who we are in Christ. You know, who if you are in Christ, what does that actually mean? What does that mean for your life? How does that impact your life? What has God done for you, right? And, and this new identity you have in Christ. The second half, we've been looking at the practical side of things, the implications of that identity in Christ. What does it, how does it impact every area of your life because it should, right? It should impact every area of your life. And so we've talked about how does it impact our relationships, our relationships with people in the church, with people outside of the church. Uh, We've talked about how it should change the way that we live and talk and deal with trials and circumstances in our lives. Last week we talked about marriage and what does it look like to have a marriage that honors God and marriage God's way. And and, and really it involves this idea of mutual submission, uh, that we are choosing to submit to one another out of reverence for God, choosing to to put the needs of our spouse before our own and lay down our lives for each other. We've talked about what those roles look like, and and today we're going to talk about parenting. How does the gospel impact us when it comes to our parenting, the relationship between us and our children? So real quick, quick survey, raise your hand if you have kids in this place today. Maybe they're not here with you, but look around for a second, keep your hand up, everybody look around. Those are the people, you can just look at each other and nod because you guys understand each other. Like if you have kids, you understand that there is times where where life is a little bit crazy. Come on, how many of you, if you have kids, you, you, you would agree that life sometimes is a little bit crazy? I'll tell you the truth, man. We have, I have four kids. I feel like some days I am living in crazy town. Uh, it's more survival. My goal when my wife is at work for the day is to make sure that all four of them survive. That's it. We're not working on anything else. That's the goal in mind. We're just getting through the day. And so as I said last week when talking about marriage, I'm not standing up here as a marriage expert. The same is true today. I'm not uh, standing up here today as somebody who has got this parenting thing completely figured out. I'm a work in progress, uh, just like many of you are when it comes to parenting, and I'm preaching to myself today uh, for sure. But the truth is, there's nothing that really can prepare you for becoming a parent. Come on, how many of you remember when you first had your first child? Were, Were any of you prepared like I know about, like, like me, I was not prepared at all. In fact, I was thinking back to when, when we, we found out we were pregnant with our first child, Layton, and it was a surprise. In fact, so much that I joked with Tiffany at the time that, um, that I wanted to name our first child Daisy. And that like later on in her teenage life, we would tell her, listen, Daisy's actually your, your middle name. Your first name is Oopsa, <laughs> right? Like Oopsa Daisy. That's why, um, that's why Tiffany ultimately had the final say with names. Um, because that would have not been good parenting. Um, but I remember the day we found out, and I was in complete shock. In fact, you know that I don't ever shut up. And the only words that I could form that day was, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Like that's all, it was like on repeat all day. In fact, we got into our car that day, and we lived in Birdsboro at the time. We got into our car and we drove to Barnes and Noble because I was like, they have a whole section on parenting there. So I'm gonna buy a book. So I bought a book of something probably like, you know, how to be a dad for dummies or something like that, like an instruction manual. I never actually read it or looked at it, but I at least put the effort in to buy it. Um, but I really had no clue what I was getting into. And Leighton, she was, she was one of those children that was basically difficult from moment one. Like she was, was breached the entire pregnancy. So every time we went to get, you know, an ultrasound to find out if we were having a boy or a girl, they were like, well, we're not quite sure because she was never in the right position. And she decided that she was going to come uh, three and a half weeks early. 
And so I can remember at the time I was working on a food delivery truck and I was out on a delivery in Norristown area and, uh, and she was working at the hospital and she was at work that day and she said, hey, I'm, I'm going down, uh, I'm having some contractions, they want me to go downstairs for monitoring. And I said, okay, do I need to come, like, do I need to come home? Is this like, is this it? I mean, it's not, it shouldn't be it yet, but is this, do I need to come home? And she's like, no, no, it's just, they're gonna just try to get the contractions stopped and all that. So I just kept working. And uh, you know, she was texting back and forth and giving me like updates and things like that. And a little bit later in the day, she said, well, hey, they're gonna, they wanna keep me overnight. They're still struggling to get the contraction stopped. And so just to monitor me, and I was like, okay, well, I'll bring you some stuff and you know, I'll bring you clothes and everything like that. So you have what you need at the hospital. And as I'm driving home, she calls me again and she says, hey, the doctor just came in and he says, there's a chance we're gonna have this baby tonight. And I'm like, like, like tonight, you're like, it's like, right, like tonight we're having a child. She's like, yeah. And so I get everything ready and I get to the hospital and the doctor comes in the room and he looks at her and he's like, well, I think the writing's on the wall. We're, we're having this baby tonight. And it was six o'clock at the time. And so I looked at the doctor and I was like, tonight meaning like 11 o'clock or like 11.59 p.m.? And he's like, no, probably like about seven, right? In like an hour. So I'm on the phone at this point. I'm getting all gowned up because it was a C-section, right? I'm getting all gowned up and ready to go. And, and I'm calling my parents and her parents and, hey, we're about to have this baby. And then I'm just praying like, God, I've, I'm not prepared for this. What do I do here? Because I remember at the time, right? We didn't even have our, the car seat was still in the box. The nursery wasn't painted. We didn't even have the right, you know, onesies in place. It's like, this is not supposed to happen yet. And here she is. And I can remember in those, in those first few moments, especially with your first child, everything is learning on the fly. I can remember that first week we're sitting at home with, with Leighton and you know, we're tired, but we're just looking at our beautiful little baby and we're just like in awe of her and she's just so cute and perfect, right? And you're just like, oh, this is just wonderful and I'm trying to be a good, helpful you know, husband because my wife had a surgery and so I'm trying to do all the you know, changing of the baby's diapers and everything like that. And I can remember one time she's laying in her little packing play and I'm changing her and we're just looking at her and she's so cute and she sneezed. And when she sneezed, she also pooped at the same time. I didn't know projectile pooping was a thing, but it is possible. And so my initial reaction as a parent was to just throw my hand down in front, right? And I just blocked it with my hand. And I was thinking, there's nothing better that explains parenting than that, right? Like just getting pooped on and spit up on. And that is what you enjoy. And I can remember in that first week, right? And she had her, any of you had baby that, was, that had their nights and days confused? They slept all day and was awake all night. And I can remember in that first week, Tiffany's exhausted, I'm exhausted. And, and Leighton was wide awake at nighttime. And she would just be up and smiling. And then, and, and then she was crying and I was trying to give Tiff some rest. And so I would go down there and I was like, okay, I, well, I got three tricks, right? Like I'll bring you to your mom to feed you. I'll change your diaper. I'll give you your passy. But if none of those work, I have no other ideas. I didn't read the manual. You're supposed to give me the three and a half more weeks, right? And, and so like... She wasn't, she was crying, she was screaming. We were looking at each other, I was tired. And I can remember looking at her and going, what is wrong with you? And then I started crying. Cause I'm like, I'm sorry, daddy sucks at this. I don't know what I'm doing, I didn't read the book. So when I say I'm not an expert in parenting, I mean, I screamed at a baby. Um, so that should prove that I'm, what I'm saying is true. Like I'm not an expert in parenting at all. And I will say this, you know, with experience and with time, we got a lot better in a lot of areas and have, and, have, and have seen definite improvement as God has worked through my life in, when it comes to parenting, but there's so many areas that there's still so much work to be done and things to learn. And so, so I love these verses we're looking at today in Ephesians because we're just looking at four verses, but in these four verses, there's just so much um, golden information about what it means to really raise your kids God way, God's way. And, 
and have kids that honor God? And what does that look like in our lives? Because again, parenting is hard, but when you have a goal in mind, like when you know what you should be aiming for, it makes it a lot easier. Like I heard somebody say a quote before, you know, you should start with the end in mind in life. And I think that is true in parenting as well. If you look at your kid's life and you go, okay, what is the end goal for my children? What's the most important thing? What should I be aiming for as a parent? And you, you focus on that and keep that goal in mind. It's gonna help you a lot when it comes to raising your kids. So I heard a pastor named David Platt, he said it like this. He said, our goal in parenting is not ultimately for our kids to get a great education or to be great athletes or to find a great spouse or to even have a great career. Our goal is for them to love a great God. Or another, another person named Lindsay Bell, she said it like this. She said, the goal of parenting isn't to create perfect kids, which doesn't exist. It's to point our kids to a perfect God. So with that in mind, understanding what our goal should be when it comes to raising kids, if you're a follower of Christ, let's look at these verses and we're gonna break them down as we talk about parenting God's ways. Verses one through four, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Three things in these verses that I want us to point out. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write these down. The first thing is this. We need to teach what is required. Paul starts off this portion of scripture. He directly speaks to the children, which just so we understand, was completely countercultural at that time. We said last week that, that, that men and women were not treated equally at that time in those culture. Children were even treated as less than, than, than women, right? Like they were treated as somewhere between women and slaves. Like it was not a good place to be for a kid. And so for Paul to take time to directly speak to the children, because you gotta understand, like this would be, have been read in the context of a church community. And so the kids would be sitting with their parents hearing this. And as they're hearing this letter, they, they hear something that is directly spoken to them like given to them, in a lot of ways, affirming their position. Children, you have worth, you have a, a role. This, the gospel is working in your life. And so what does it look like in your life as a child with parents? What does it look like? And he says, children, obey your parents and honor your parents. We need to make sure that we teach our kids what is required. How many of you have experienced with your kids that you have to actually teach them how to be obedient? Like they don't come out just learning how to be obedient. Any of you, you've ever come face to face with the reality that your kids are, are born very sinful? Like you look at them and you're like, oh, they're really cute, but then they turn two and you're like, the devil is in you. <laughs> well, how, where do I go for an exorcism? Because you don't have to teach your kids how to be bad. You don't have to teach them how to be sinful. You don't have to teach them how to be selfish. You don't have to teach them how to be disobedient. You don't have to teach them how to be rebellious. rebellious. All of those things come pretty naturally for, for children. And as parents, we have a responsibility that we are to teach them what is required, teach them what they are supposed to do, train them in the right way. And so Paul says, start with obedience and start with honor. But we need to make sure and be careful that we do it the right way and that we're teaching things Clearly, because I can remember when Leighton was little, um, I would oftentimes, do any of you have a kid that would always just ask you why all the time? Like every time you said something, they'd be like, why? Clean your room, why? Eat your vegetables, why? Like, and you would just, instead of explaining, you just kind of get sick of it, and so you just would go to the I'm the boss line. 
Like, because I'm the boss, so you just do it. I said, I'm your parent, I'm the boss, right? I, you just do it. I don't want to explain everything to you all the time. And so I would do that oftentimes. And then it came back to bite me in the butt because Leighton was on, uh, I believe it was kindergarten, and she went on her first field trip. And I remember picking her up at the end of the day. And uh, I picked her up and she got in the car and she was smiling and being all goofy. And I looked at her and I said, how was your day? Did you have fun? And she said, Axel kissed me. And I said, what? Yeah, like, Somebody, uh, like, a, that was a little boy, he kissed you? What do you mean? Well, yeah, you kissed me on my cheek. And I'm like, why'd you let him do that? Like, why'd that happen? He goes, I don't know, why, are you mad? I thought it was just funny. That's why I was telling you. I thought it was just silly. I was like, well, why? nobody's allowed to kiss you until you're married, right? Like, no, like that's not okay. And she was like, well, I don't know why you're mad. Well, well, I was like, why'd you allow that? Well, because he's the boss. And I said, no, he's not the boss, right? Like, that, that, he's not the boss. And she said, uh, she said, well, all boys are bosses. And I said, what TV show are you learning this on? Like, who taught you that? That is not true. Where'd you learn that? Where'd you hear that? And she goes, well, you're a boy and you always tell me you're the boss. And so I had to clarify, I I'm not the boss because I'm a boy. I'm the boss because I'm your dad. And that boy's about to get killed, right? <laughs> no boy gonna be kissing you. So we need to teach them how to be obedient. We need to teach them honor. We need to make sure that we're clear on why. It says be obedient to your parents. Not every person, not every boy, but be obedient to your parents. Honor your parents in the Lord. And we need to make sure that we're defining what that actually looks like. And so just, I know that these words are very common. I know that these words are words that you're probably very familiar with, but just to kind of define where we're going, we talk about obedience and honor. Obedience is the action. Honor is the attitude. To obey means to do what another person tells you to do. Honor involves respect and love. Honor is the heart behind the action. In Colossians 3, it reiterates this. It says, and children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, both of these things, honor and obedience, are, are, are needed. Both of those things are so important for us to teach our children. They need to learn how to be obedient. We're gonna talk about why in just a moment. They need to learn to, to show honor. There's really only one exception that we see when it comes to the exception to the rule when it comes to obedience, especially with kids in your home. The only time that a kid, and, and or if you're in here today and you are a child, the only time that you should not uh, obey your parents is if they are trying to get you to do something or they are directing you in a way that is first and foremost contrary to God's word. Like if they're saying, hey, I want you to murder somebody, they're bad parents and you don't need to listen to them. Obviously, if you're grown and you're out of the house, like obedience does not look the same way. You don't, you know, call your parents and are automatically obedient, but the idea of honor should be something that we always show. Like that you shouldn't outgrow, even when you're older, even when you're not living in your, your home with your parents, honor should be something that is developed and that you always show. And so why is this so important? Why is it so vital that we teach our children and they understand what is required when it comes to obedience and honor? Let me give you a couple reasons why. First, first reason, without it, uh, without obedience, there's complete dysfunction in the family. How, how many of you have ever seen a family um, where you know the kids kind of run the show? Like you see them and, and it's just complete chaos. Like the kid is screaming, talking back and forth, like talking back to the parents, uh, freaking out all the time, always like wanting something. And this is the parent that's like their, their kid screams all the time and they know that their kid, that screaming will get them their way. So this kid, the parents are always kind of bending to the wishes of the kid just to get them to stop making a scene in the story. Listen, we've all been there at times, again, because kids are sinners. And we've been at those places where your kid is making a scene and it's embarrassing and it's hard. 
But I'm talking about where you just constantly bend and, and, and constantly allow the kids to lead the show. There's a reason that God has created an order in the family. There's a reason that God has created order in many areas in life. And in the family, this is the order. The parents would submit to God first and foremost, and then the children would submit to and obey and honor their parents. And when they do those things, there is peace, but when they don't do those things, there's chaos and dysfunction. Another reason why obedience is so important to teach our kids is that the well-being of the child often depends on it. Now, there's sometimes where a, a decision for a child to be obedient doesn't end in something bad, right? Like you, they can say no or not clean the room or not do something, and it doesn't necessarily have these major consequences. But there's other times where a choice to be disobedient could have terribly tragic con consequences. For instance, if your child is about to run into the street and you scream, stop, and they don't listen to you and a car hits them, that's a tragic consequence. There are times when, when the, them being disobedient can have much worse consequences than, than other times. And so we need to teach our children how to be obedient and, and how to listen and hear our voice for in those situations. It's not always the little situations, but if they don't learn to, to be obedient in the little things, then there's a good chance that they won't be obedient in the big things that could also have much worse consequences. So the well-being of your child depends on it. Number three, teaching obedience prepares them for life in the real world. It prepares them for life outside of your home, outside of your family. A child who learns how to be obedient, a child who learns honor in the home, usually grows up to be a, a man or a woman who knows how to honor and submit to authority in their life, who knows how to, who, to, to submit to the people in leadership over them, which can set them up to be successful, can set them up to be promoted in their workplace, can set them up to have success in everything they do. It sets them up for success. And then lastly, and most importantly, teaching obedience lays the groundwork for the gospel. If we're not teaching our children how to be obedient to us and they're not understanding the God-ordained authority that God has put into their life for their protection and for their benefit and ultimately for his blessing in their lives, it's gonna be a lot harder for them at some point in the future to submit to God's leadership and his lordship in their lives. If they can't obey you, submit to you, honor you, it's gonna be a lot harder for them to do the same thing when it comes to God. So ultimately, it opens the door for them to receive what God has. If they can't see the blessing and obedience in, in your household and your home, it's gonna be harder for them to surrender in obedience to Christ. And ultimately, we have to teach our, our kids that obedience and honor is for their blessing and for their good. It actually benefits them, both in their relationship with you. How many of you, when your kids are obedient, you love to bless your kids, and it's a lot easier to bless your kids when they're walking in obedience than when they're walking in disobedience? It's a lot easier for you to want to bless your kids when they are doing the things that you ask them to do without having to ask them 400 times. Same is true with God. God wants to bless our lives. He blesses obedience. He does not bless disobedience. I love what it says in Proverbs 1, 8 through 9. Before we move on, it says, My children, listen when your father corrects you and don't neglect your mother's instructions. For what you learn from them will crown you with grace and will be a chain of honor around your neck. The second thing we learn about parenting God's way in this portion of scripture, not only do we need to teach what's required, number two, we need to make sure that we teach in the right manner. He goes on to say in the beginning of verse four, he says, fathers, do not provoke or stir up anger in your children. Now, this is not just for fathers. This applies to fathers and mothers as well. But probably most of the time when it comes to this, it's the fathers who end up stirring up the anger. We just have a way sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, of of, of disciplining and doing it, but not always doing it in the right manner. So what are, some, 
ways that we can stir up anger or bitterness in our kids when it comes to discipline and discipling them. There's a couple things. Unclear boundaries. When we don't set boundaries or, or we have boundaries in our mind, but we don't make them clear to our, our children, that's an area that can set them up to experience frustration and anger when it comes to our parenting. When we get mad when they do something, but we never were clear that they shouldn't be doing that, it's a place where they can be frustrated, inconsistent discipline. When we discipline them one way when they do something, but the next time they make that same mistake, we don't do anything or we discipline them more harshly. Or if we have multiple kids and we discipline one kid when they do something, but the other kid does it, we're like, yeah, you're our favorite. Like, that's bad. We need to make sure that we are consistent with our discipline. We need to make sure the third thing that we don't have unbalanced criticism, meaning some of us, we are critical of our children all the time. Criticism is not a spiritual gift, just in case you're wondering. We need to make sure there, there's a time to be critical. There's a time to, to question things, action things like that. But we need to make sure that the majority of what we say isn't criticism all the time. If it's unbalanced and all they ever hear is criticism, never compliments or encouragement, it's gonna cause them to be embittered and have anger and frustration with us as parents. And then the fourth thing is unreasonable demands. When we are constantly, we have demands that they feel like they can never meet, they never can live up to our standards, they never can be good enough for us, they never can get to the place where we love them and accept them. When we have these unreasonable standards and demands on our kids, it can cause them to grow up and have bitterness and resentment and it stirs up anger. In other words, when it comes to discipling our kids, because that's what we're called to do, when it comes to discipline, when it comes to instruction, there is a right way and a wrong way of doing things and we need to make sure that we're trying to do things the right way, teaching in the right manner. We need to make sure that we are disciplers and not dictators in our homes. An important part of discipleship is discipline. It's not an easy part of raising kids, but it's an important part of raising kids, discipline. And we need to learn to discipline in the right way. In Proverbs 13, it says this, it says, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. And those who love their children care enough to discipline them. And I tell you, this is not just about spanking your kids because some of you that are, you know, are all for that, some of you are against that. It's not talking about that. It's talking about just discipline in general. It says, well, I don't want to discipline my kids. I just want to be their friend and I just want them to learn. Can I tell you something? When you treat your kids like that and you think you're being loving, the Bible is clear that you're actually doing the opposite. You're showing that you don't really care about your kids because you don't correct them. And if you don't correct them, you allow bad behavior and bad things to go on. And it's not because you love them and you want them to figure it out. It's actually because you really don't care. It says those who discipline, and again, do it the right way, as disciplers and not as dictators, those who discipline show that they truly love and care about their children. When we don't lead our kids like disciples, when we lead like dictators, what we end up doing is we show and teach our kids that God is more of a slave master than he is a loving father. And so we have to make sure that we're doing this the right way. So what are some differences between a discipler and a, and a dictator when it comes to discipline? Well, dictators will often show love when it's earned or when it's deserved, but will withhold love to get kids to fall in line. A discipler loves unconditionally even when a child has not earned it, even when a child has failed and dropped the ball. The love for that child does not change. Disciples are always quick to pursue reconciliation in love. Dictators have one way of communicating, always talking, never listening, always raising their voice. A dictator is always right and can never be 
question where a discipler will take time to listen and will be quick to admit when they failed and made a mistake. And I tell you, as a parent, one of the greatest things you can do is be honest with your own failures. One of the greatest things you can do with your kids at times when you've dropped the ball, which you will, when you've lost your temper, when you've been impatient, which you will, the greatest thing you can do is take time to sit them down and apologize. I'm a work in progress just like you are. I need God's help just like you do. But dictators will never do that. Number three, dictators will say, do as I say, not as I do. I'm the boss of this house and you're gonna obey. Everything is managed by fear of punishment. Disciples will model and set an example to follow with gentleness and patience. And again, we don't always get this right. Number four, dictators will punish while angry with the goal of making them pay for their mistakes. Disciples will discipline out of love, not out of anger, with the goal of protecting and growing their children. And they're always quick to restore the relationship. And I'll be honest with you, there's been many times, especially early on, that it was much easier for me to be in that dictator category than discipler. It was just much easier to, to just say I'm the boss. Do as I say, not as I do. Like the silly video we watched in the beginning. It's just much easier to, to kind of take the easy way out than it is to take the time to model and explain why. It's easier to yell and to scream at times than it is to be patient and understanding. But ultimately we have to pursue discipleship more than that dictatorship in our homes because the way that you discipline and the way that you disciple is ultimately painting a picture to your children, especially if you're a follower of Christ, of what God is like as their heavenly father. So the question we have to ask ourselves is what kind of paint, picture am I painting? By the way that I discipline, by the way that I raise my kids, what kind of picture of their heavenly father am I painting? We need to make sure that we teach the right way. And then number three, when it comes to parenting God's way, we see in this portion of scripture, we need to teach them what is most important. We need to teach them what is most important. Paul wraps up these verses by saying, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children. What does he say instead we should be doing? He says, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. As parents, we have this responsibility. We set the trajectory of our kid's life. We have to understand that ultimately we are aiming our kids, pointing our kids in some direction, whether we're doing it intentionally or not by the things we say and the actions of our lives. We are pointing our kids in a certain direction. We are influencing the trajectory of their lives. So we need to make sure that we are pointing them in the right direction, in the most important direction. And so what is most important? What is the most important thing for you as a follower of Christ? What should it be when it comes to raising kids? The most important thing, I believe, according to scripture for us as followers of Christ with children, as parents who are trying to honor God, live out the gospel in our homes, the most important thing that we can do is lead our kids towards making the decision to follow Jesus. Now, I want you to understand, it doesn't say making the decision for them because you can't do that. You can't force your kids to follow Jesus. You can't make that decision for them Ultimately, it's the grace of God. That's why one of the most humbling things as a parent when you pray for your kids sometimes is, God, please get a hold of my kid's life. Do whatever you need to do to change my kid's life, to do a work in their life. I cannot change them. I cannot force it. God, you are the only one who can radically change their life. So do what you need to do to get a hold of their lives. But here's the thing, as parents, we can do everything in our power to lead them to the place where when God tries to get a hold of their life, when God tries to reach into their life and, 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 and save them and forgive them, we've done everything possible to remove all of the hurdles so that they can receive what God wants to do. And the way that we parent and the things that we do and what we teach as most important go a long way 
and showing them that God is the way to live their lives. The Bible says it like this in Proverbs 22. It says, direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. Now, again, this verse is not a guarantee that if you do the right thing as parents and you direct your kids, then they are automatically gonna follow God because ultimately it is the grace of God getting a hold of their lives. But what it is saying is this, if you would do the hard work of leading your kids and teaching them what is most important, there is a lot greater of a likelihood and a chance that the, the gospel and the message of Christ will be able to get a hold of them and change their lives than if you don't do the right things. That's, that's what it's saying. It's not prescriptive, it's descriptive. If you do the right things, if you train up your children the right way, if you model for them the right thing, there's a much better chance that the grace of God will be able to get a hold of their life and radically transform them. And so what are some ways that we can practically do this? Because, man, I, I want us to be practical. It's one thing to say these things. It's another thing to show us how we can actually live this out in our lives and how we can actually put this into practice in our in our relationship with our children. So what are some things we can do to practically live this out, make sure that we are teaching what is most important? The first thing is this. I would encourage you as a parent to model the type of faith that you wanna see your kids live out. If you want your kids to experience life-changing faith, then you need to make sure that as a parent, you are walking in life-changing faith. You have to model for them what this looks like. This is not about going to church on Sunday mornings and checking it off your spiritual list and having Jesus and God not impact anything else the rest of your, your week. That is not the type of faith you want to model because ultimately that's the type of faith that your kids will pursue. It has to be more than that. Moses said it like this to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter six. He says, and you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It says, love the Lord your God with everything you are, with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and then teach your children to do the same. That's the type of faith we're called. To my, I've heard people say before growing up at church, man, if I just get my, I just need to get my kids to church. I just need to get them to church so they could act better. I just need to get them to church. My kid is crazy. I just need to get them to church so they can act better, so they can have better morals, so they can make better decisions. And I would, you know, humbly tell them the church is not supposed to be the greatest spiritual influence in your kid's life. You are. Like a couple hours on Sunday morning is not gonna make up for what they see at your home the rest of the week. The type of faith that your kids live out most likely is gonna look like the type, a lot like the type of faith that you modeled for them. I heard somebody say it like this before. The kids will listen to what you say, but they will follow what you do. Faith is more caught than taught. So let me challenge you today, parents, when it comes to the faith that you want your kids to model, understand that your kids are listening to you. They're listening to the words you say, but even more than that, they're watching the way you live. They're watching how you live your life. They're watching the things you do. They're watching how the gospel impacts your marriage. They're watching how the gospel impacts the way you deal with trials. They're watching the way the gospel impacts the way that you discipline them and, and when, when they've done something wrong. They're watching all of those things and they will listen to what you say, but they will more likely follow what you do because faith is not so much taught as much as it is caught. 
So make sure that you model the right type of faith. My challenge to you today is what kind of of faith are you living out? Are you modeling for your kids by what's most important to you, that life-changing faith? Do you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind? You're like, I'm not asking if you're perfect, but are you modeling a, a faith that is all in? Are you modeling a faith where, 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 where God is not just something that you talk about on Sundays, but it's something that, that impacts every area of your life, every day of your life? Are you taking time to, to read the Bible together as a family, to pray with your family, to model for them the following Christ? Are you sacrificially living your life in a way, looking for opportunities to serve God and to serve others? Are you doing all of those things? Are you modeling a faith that is just Sundays and nothing else? Are you modeling a faith that radically has transformed your life? Because most likely your kid's faith will look a lot like your faith. So live out the type of faith you want your kids to chase after. Number two, I wanna encourage you, practically speaking, in your home to emphasize Christ more than good morals, more than good values. How many of you would say that you want your kids to act a certain way? There's nothing wrong with that. It's not a trick question. I know, like, I can remember as I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad was a pastor my entire life, and I can remember we would go out to lunch oftentimes with, like, the missionaries that would come to speak and things like that. And I can remember all the time we would get in the car and before we get into the restaurant, my dad would look back at me and my brother. He'd be like, listen, when we go in this restaurant, you represent us. And so if you embarrass us and you start fighting and acting up in this restaurant, it might seem like at the time you're getting away with it. But when we get home, it's not gonna be good for you. I think all of us, we want our kids to act a certain way, right? Like we want our kids to represent us well. We want them to have good morals, make good decisions. None of those things are, are bad things. But we have to understand that the gospel is not so much about behavior modification as it is about heart transformation. And the problem that happens is there's a lot of kids who grew up in church, who grow up in church, and they define Christianity as simply adhering to a list of rules of do's and don'ts and not a a relationship, a real relationship with a loving father. Like we want our kids to have right actions, do the right things, but we want it to be because ultimately they've experienced heart transformation through a relationship with Christ, not because they learned a list of rules to follow. We need to teach our kids about their need for a savior. We need to show our kids and let them know that they are sinful and broken and there's nothing they can do to make themselves good enough but the good news of the gospel is that Jesus made himself good enough for them in their place, that Jesus became their sin, their rebellion, their mistakes, their failures in their place for their sins. And it's not just about having the right behaviors and changing their behaviors and doing the right thing. It's ultimately about turning their heart over to Christ. It's not about trying harder. It's about dying to yourself, surrendering your heart to Christ and allowing him to do a work in your life. Right behavior does not lead to a changed heart, but a changed heart, a transformed heart, always leads to changed behavior. So I wanna encourage you in your home, emphasize God's grace and his desire to transform your kid's heart more than you just emphasize the good things they do. Make sure that you're ultimately always pointing them towards Jesus and their need for Jesus. And when you fail and you mess up, remind them that you are still a work in progress as well. And Jesus is still working in your life. And you are all in that same boat together. Talk about 
Christ more than just good values. And then number three, the third thing practically we can do when it comes to teaching them what's most important is this. I wanna encourage you to celebrate the right things. I've talked about this before. As parents, we love to celebrate our children, don't we? Especially the age of social media. We love to celebrate our kids. We want everyone to know how much more awesome our kids are than their kids. It's not true. That's not the reason we do it. But we love to celebrate. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's great when we celebrate when our kids get straight A's. I think it's great when we celebrate when our kids do good in sports. None of those things are bad things. But hear me clearly when I say that. That's, that's not a bad thing. It's not bad to want to celebrate your kids. It's not bad to, to be excited when they do something well. It's not bad to be excited when they, when they excel at things. That's not a bad thing at all. But I want to encourage you to make sure that you're just as much celebrating the works that God is doing in their lives, which I know are a lot harder to post on social media. Like, hey, my kid didn't punch their brother today. It's not as cool as A plus on your report card. But make sure you're celebrating the right things because here's what I found to be true in my life. Here's what I've, you've probably experienced in your life. What you reward and what you celebrate is often, gets, is often what gets repeated. Like what you reward and what you celebrate in your kid's life is often gets what repeated. And so if all your kids experience in your relationship with them as a parent is that you celebrate those things, what they're gonna chase after is the things that you celebrate and that you reward. And so if all they think that you value is how good they are at sports and how good they are at school and not what God is doing in their life, they're gonna chase after those things because those are the things that you celebrate and that you get most excited about. And so let me just encourage you to celebrate those things. Like celebrate those things, but also make sure that you are just as much and it's just as passionately and just as equally celebrating the things that God is doing in their lives. Celebrate those moments when your kids show the grace of God to their siblings. Celebrate those moments where your kid could choose to buy something for themselves, but they see a need that somebody else has and they're generous with their finances towards God and his kingdom. Celebrate those moments where God is at work in their life and point it out to your kids. I, I, I'm just be honest, like there's practical, I have, to, I have to make sure that I'm teaching myself to do this all the time. So there's times where my son, for instance, just, just yesterday, this is just a very quick example, yesterday, this kid usually at home is one of those kids that I have to tell a hundred times, clean, clean up your stuff, clean up the mess you just made. But we were over at my parents' house yesterday when everybody else was playing, him and the other young cousin, they cleaned up everything. They put everything away, everybody else's toys. They took all the cups off the table, put them up in the trash can. They wiped the table down, things that they never do without me asking them a hundred times at all. So when we went to bed that night, I said, Landon, I just want you to know I'm proud of you. I'm really proud of you for taking the initiative. I'm really proud of you for taking the time to clean up when you weren't asked, to honor your grandparents by taking care of their house, to honor us by not having me ask you a hundred times to clean up. I'm really, really proud of you. And it's practical things, but it's the little things. Because if all we ever do is celebrate the things that have no eternal value, they're gonna chase after things that have no eternal value. But if we celebrate the things that have eternal value, eternal significance, and we celebrate those moments where they're doing what it says in Matthew, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So when we celebrate those things, they're gonna chase after those things as well. So let me just encourage you, would you stand with me today as we close? As we've said last week, our prayer is that we would have marriages that honor God. Our prayer is also that we would have families that honor God. That we would help you as you raise your kids to raise your kids in a way that points them to Jesus again. There's no guarantee that your kids are gonna follow Christ. Ultimately, that is the grace of God getting a hold of them. But as parents, 
our desire, our heart should be, we want to do everything possible to, to see that that happens, to point them in a direction where that can take place. And then we pray a whole lot. We pray and we pray for our children. Pray that God gets hold of them. Pray that God changes them because he's the only one that can. Maybe you're in here today and you don't have kids yet. And so all of this is just information that doesn't make sense to you right now. But I'll tell you, there's a chance that someday you might have kids. And you're gonna wanna lead them the right way if you're a follower of Christ. Or maybe you're in here and your kids are all old and grown and you look back at your life and you feel like you've made some mistakes and you weren't as good of a parent or as godly of a parent and you have regrets and everything else. And I would say you can't go back and change your past, but you can continue to, in the future, make sure that you lead your kids in a way. You go from that role of parent to consultant. That is the time I talked about last week. But you can live your life and model your faith now in a way that shows your kids that it's real. You can be humble enough to apologize for the times you failed and the things that you did not do well as a parent. I want to encourage you today, parents, listen. Teach your kids what is required. Teach them obedience. Teach them honor. It's the one commandment with a promise. Teach your kids the right way. Make sure that you are not discipling in a way that is always stirring up anger and bitterness in their lives. And ultimately, listen, teach them what's most important because you're going to direct their lives one way or another. So make a choice that you're going to direct them the right way, that you're going to lead them in the right direction, that you're going to do everything possible to point them towards Jesus. If you're in here today and you're a parent, I understand that this is difficult and this is not always easy. But parenting is a high calling and it's a holy calling. So maybe as a sign of surrender in your own life today as we just pray, we just raise our hands to God and we say, God, I, I need your help. <laughs> I need your help when it comes to this. I don't want to screw up my kids. I don't want to do anything that makes them not want to follow you. I mean, that's, I'll be honest with you as a parent, that's often my greatest fear. That I will lead them in a way that makes them not want anything to do with Jesus. So if you're a parent here today, maybe as a sign of surrender in your own life, you just lift your hands to God as we pray today you invite God into your life, into your parenting. God, I want to, to, to model you well to my kids. So Father, today, God, God, I know in my own life, I've made many mistakes when it comes to the way I've parented my kids. I've lost my temper. I haven't had patience. I've been quick to be critical and not quick to be encouraging and to build them up. But God, I need your help. As I know many parents in this room need your help today. God, we want to lead our kids and our families the right way. We want to point them towards you, God. Knowing that we cannot make that decision for them, we cannot choose that for them, God. But desiring more than anything else that you would get a hold of their lives. Lord, your word says, what good is it if we gain the whole world yet forfeit our soul? What good is it if our kids grow up to be successful in everything else the world says is important? Have great jobs, be professional athletes, have great careers in everything else, but they don't know you, God. What benefit is that? So God, our, our greatest desire more than anything else is that our kids would know you, follow you, live for you, and be radically transformed by you today. So God, I pray that you would supernaturally help us as parents to be the parents you've called us to be. 
God, give us wisdom and direction. Give us your presence and your peace in our lives so we can parent and disciple our kids in a way that honors you and points them towards their need for you as well. In Jesus' name we pray today.